uh, that's what it looked like. Uh, This place was a little bit transformed, as you can see. Uh, Didn't look as it looks like right now. And uh, there we have the kids learning all kinds of things. Truckload of games, truckload of amazing challenges and interactions and all kinds of memories have been made. And at the heart of it all is this glorious and wonderful news that God has done what no one could have ever dreamed or expected, that he has forgiven the debt that we rightly owe. God has done this for all those who trust in Jesus. And more amazing than the kind of stories these guys learned about is they learned that fantastic truth using drama and this amazing skit about circus, the runaway circus and the ringmaster and all the stuff that was going on for them. Well, that was amazing, but it was just a pretend story. Something would never have happened in real life, that people's debt would be forgiven, that they would be set free, that they'd be given new life and new opportunity. But the real impossible that has been made possible is what God has done for us in Jesus. God, what he has done for us in Jesus, and this is the big news that has been shared to every generation in every nation all across the world for the past 2,000 years. Didn't just start when the Gideons started doing it. It's been happening even earlier, and we heard that from our Bible passage. Uh, this passage here, I mean, it, it's, it's not just a story about something which happened a long time ago, though indeed it did. It's also something that affects our lives right now and will affect our lives on into eternity to come because if something that was impossible has been made possible, well, that now changes everything, doesn't it? But if it changes everything, we need to check and make sure it's true, that what's being claimed is accurate and that what we taught all those children across this week can be trusted. Is it really true? Well, that's what we're pausing to make sure of tonight and to anchor ourselves in also. And let's ask God's help because it was his news. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for all you have shown us, all you have taught us, not just what the children learned this week, uh, but what we've just heard from your word as it's been read for us by Keely. Father, thank you for these truths. We pray now that you would help us to come to grips with them, to learn, to know, to understand, and to see and understand what this might mean for each of us. Help us in this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, You'll find an outline that I'm following that's there inside your church bulletin you can follow along with. And that'll tell you how long I'm going for and the kind of things that are there. And the prayer on the very brack, I'm going to return to that and be saying that later. So get familiar with it now. You'll find the passage in your Bibles there, page 951. Bring it up in front of you, page 951 in those church Bibles, as we refer to it also. Because this passage that we've come from, Keely didn't make it up. It wasn't just something I gave her randomly. No, this came from the Bible. This came from the New Testament. It came from this letter that was written in the first century. The man who wrote it was in prison at the time that he wrote it, and his name was Paul. And he had famously met the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. The people he was writing to, these Philippians, well, that means they're people who live in a place called Philippi. So they live in Philippi, they're Philippians. That's just how these things work, right? Uh, So we live in Australia, so we're called 
Australians. Yeah, well done. We're all there. We got this. All right, we're all over it. Uh, and so it was a real place in what we would call modern day Greece. And just like this church was begun here 141 years ago because of this good news, when the locals here turned from belief in all kinds of things to follow Jesus. Well, so too, there the people in Philippi in the first century put aside their local and their Roman and their Greek and all the other things they believed and started following Jesus instead once they heard the good news about him that Paul brought into their city. Paul then moved on and kept on talking to other places and kept sharing that good news because it's such important news and then he got stuck. See, unable to return, Paul wrote them this letter and he wrote it from prison because he was arrested for this message. And he wrote to them to encourage them and to remind them of what God had done for them in Jesus, that the impossible has been made possible and the difference that that makes. So in this section of the letter that you can see where Keeley read from in chapter 2, uh, if you look back a little bit, you'll see that Paul's been writing to them about having the same mindset as Christ Jesus uh, toward one another within the church, to have the same mindset as him, to have a humble, other person-centred, God-honouring mindset. Let me say that again, because that's what he was urging on them, that they would have a humble, other person-centred, God-honouring mindset. And that was utterly unheard of in the world back then, just as it's extremely rare around us in the northern Illawarra today, isn't it? But the good news of what Jesus has done and what God did in response, well, that's what not only took Paul to Philippi in the first place to say these things, but it's also the thing that transforms lives and changes people that they do and can and might have a humble, other person-centered, God-honoring mindset. And that happens as we follow Jesus, because that's what Jesus had. And Paul tells us that here. So this is what he wrote uh, about Jesus. Paul wrote from verse 6 in our passage, page uh, 951, also on the screen. Uh, He wrote, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And that's what Jesus did. That's the the history of it. That's that piece of news that we will pretty much all know about that Jesus did. Uh, This is what the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, were written about. That great big chunk in the start of the New Testament that tells us and records all those events for us. And this is what's been celebrated across the world ever since, every single Good Friday. Remember Good Friday, Easter? Yep, Good Friday, all about Jesus dying on that cross for us. And it's been told and it's been celebrated, it's been written about, it's been, the news has been spread because, well, Jesus was just that impressive. His incredible humility in not platforming himself and his power, well, that, that's, that's impressive, He's astounding other person-centered service and love that transformed the lives of everyone else he met. That's impressive. And most impressive of all is his willingness to obey God and voluntarily give his life on the cross so that others might have their debts forgiven. Debts that we had earned, debts that were deserved, 
debts that we could not pay for ourselves and Jesus paid for them with his own blood. And by doing so, Jesus set free from debt and judgment everyone who believes in him. Isn't that great? That's the good news. That's why we call it the good news. Because it's us set free from debt by someone else's payment. Jesus giving his life so that we can have life instead of him. It's just like those amazing stories we hear that you know, come from the military, from wartime. You know when the hero in the unit or the platoon you know, will jump on a grenade to save his bodies. They get blown to smithereens and everyone else survives. Like those amazing stories we hear in the ocean when someone swims in front of a shark to give their life to save someone else. Amazing, incredible, wonderful sacrifice. Awful, awesome sacrifice. But life-giving sacrifice. Beautiful stories, life-giving stories to be remembered and to be celebrated. They're personal sacrifices that should be never, ever forgotten And what do we say when something shouldn't be forgotten? Lest we forget. And we shouldn't forget them. And yet every one of those stories, as important as they are in that moment and as significant as they are historically and personally, and yes, they should be remembered and retold, absolutely, But still, we need to realise that they are tragically futile because they cannot be repeated. And that person's life is now spent and it's gone forever. They've done it once, they can't do it again. The the fiancé who swam in front of that shark to save his beloved is not coming back. Tragically, he cannot help her ever again. Marriage is till death do us part. Their marriage is finished. He's no longer there. And she now has to live the rest of her life without him. And indeed she has. Thankfully, yes, but sadly, and he's gone. And so too the unit of soldiers, those platoons. You know, they're incredible thankful for the sacrifice of their comrade in arms. And they get a posthumous VC for their act in saving them from that one grenade. But you know what? The rest of the unit, there wasn't, there's never just one grenade in a, in a war, remember? There's another grenade. There's more enemy soldiers. And they now have to face them alone. Their dead buddy can't do anything anymore for them in the challenges ahead. Yes, they're thankful and rightly so. The hero's the hero. But they're now gone. And the rest of us can do no more than to just, you know, walk on with our lives. Thankful, yes, as we should be. But ultimately now, tragically, without them. And this is where the similarity with Jesus' sacrifice ends. This is where the similarity with Jesus is finished. So yes, Jesus died on that cross. Yes, he died for others. Yes, he paid our debt and our punishment. Yes, we celebrate his death on that cross. Yes, it was successful. Yes, it did all those things. However, Jesus didn't stay dead. That's the big difference. See, Christianity isn't a religion that's based on a moral code of a, an old ancient dead man who we, you know, we, 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 he's back there in the past, but he did some good things, so we better just follow his good example. That's not Christianity. No, Christianity flows from the amazing news that Jesus is alive. 
Jesus is alive. Yes, he truly died. Yes, he paid our debt, but he didn't stay dead. Because God himself resurrected Jesus and didn't just raise him back to life so he could live a bit longer, but no, installed him on high as his forever king of the entire universe that now every living creature needs to reckon with. Because he is the installed king, God's installed king. God resurrecting and enthroning Jesus. Well, that's the news that took Paul by surprise. See, Jesus, sorry, Paul knew that Jesus had died on a cross. Remember, he lived in that same time frame. He knew that Jesus, the Jew, was dead and buried on a cross. What he was opposing was the fact that the disciples and others had said that Jesus had risen. Paul opposed that. He put people in prison because of that. But what stopped him... (laughs) was when the risen Jesus met Paul on the road to Damascus and showed indeed that he was alive. And so it's Jesus' resurrection and enthronement that's the amazing news that not only transformed Paul's life, but also is the news that he then took to the Philippians, that then resulted in those people turning their lives around and becoming Christians, people following Jesus as well, the risen Lord. believing that God had accepted the full payment of Jesus' blood for their debts and that the payment was complete. And we know it's complete because Jesus didn't stay dead, still paying for it. No, it's proven by his resurrection. And unlike anyone else who's ever uh, died to save someone else, well, Jesus doesn't stay dead because God himself delights in Jesus, humble, other person-centered, God-honoring love for his enemies and counts it as payment in full. And this thing that God has done, God did this thing that has now changed the course of history and eternity by raising him. And that's what Paul's writing about in that section that Keely read out for us. So picking up there in verse 9, Therefore God exalted him. So because he died, he humbled himself, he was obedient to death, a death on a cross, because he did all those things. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, do you see the difference this makes? How this affects the present. It's not just something from history, but how this now changes the future, how this affects our lives both now and forevermore. See, in Jesus, the impossible has been made possible. Not only that he's the only dead man that God has ever raised and enthroned eternally, that's impressive, that's significant, but also that the name of this once dead man, affects the life and future of everyone on the planet. Everyone in heaven and on earth and under the earth, those who have died and gone before us, they are affected by the name of Jesus also. And more again, that through Jesus, the impossibility of a human like you and I bringing glory to God in heaven well, that is now absolutely and irrevocably made, pers- made possible. Just think about that for a moment. Little old you, little old me, 
where absolute nobodies on the stage of history or on the stage of Australia, much less the world, that God would notice us and that we could bring glory to Him? Can I bring glory to God and live forever with Him? I'm a nobody. Before believing in Jesus, I couldn't. But now, believing in Jesus, I can. The impossible has been made possible. Can you or all the children that were here across this week bring glory to God in heaven and live with Him forever? Without believing in Him, no. But by believing in Him, yes, the impossible becomes possible. And belief is all it takes. That's what we've been teaching the children in the Kids Holiday Club through the course of this week. We've been teaching them who Jesus is, you know, who is this guy Jesus who died on the cross that we celebrated Easter and Christmas, who is, what he's done, what he actually did, and then what God has made him to be. Not just an impressive life, but what God has now made him to be, enthroned him on high, and how we respond by believing in him. Who Jesus is, what he's done, what God has made him to be, and now how we respond by believing. Because the response is necessary, isn't it? Believe or don't believe. They're the options. And if we're saying that we believe in that, well, that's a proactive thing. Because believing looks like something, just as opposing belief also looks like something, doesn't it? There's no middle of the road here. No, believing looks like something begins with understanding the, inf- the information, a new mindset, as we're told about here, but it's then expressed in two very clear and public ways. Believing looks like something. There's nothing weirdly religious or particularly special about these two things believing looks like, but they're personally challenging they're very significant. Did you notice them in the passage? They're right there in verses 10 and 11. Check it out, have another look. Verses 10 and 11, what does it say? That at the name of Jesus... In fact, how about you read it out with me? That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you notice it now? Now, if you're not sure, I put it in really bright yellow writing on the screen just in case you're struggling to see it. That's what it is. Believing looks like something. It is expressed in bowed knees and proclaiming tongues, acknowledging words. Knees bowed in humility and homage. Uh, Rather than standing on our rights and declaring our entitlements and saying, God, you should do what I want. No, it's reversing that. It's humbling ourselves, bowing to his authority. And it's using our tongues to acknowledge to declare his lordship over us i'm his servant he's my lord there's nothing weirdly religious about that it's simply humility and acknowledgement and yet bowing the knee to jesus like this acknowledging him that he is lord well it's intensely personal isn't it let's not be mistaken it's very personal but it's also very challenging and it's challenging publicly too and all of that focuses around that word is that little word is jesus christ is lord the is is where it bites deepest the is is what makes 
us uncomfortable. The is is what is a challenge to everyone else in the world. Because if I'm to say, Jesus Christ, my Lord, you can say, well, good for you. Good for you, Michael. Jesus Christ is your Lord. That's fantastic. I've got a different Lord. You can have that Lord. We can all have our own Lords. We're all fine. But the moment the Christian pipes up and we say, Jesus Christ is Lord, when a Christian says, Jesus Christ is Lord, well, now the opposition begins, doesn't it? As that word is, that's the only thing that's changed. And it's significant. That's when we start disturbing the peace of those who want to claim or declare that something else is Lord and not Jesus. If we want to declare Jesus Lord, in other ways, other people want to claim his lordship elsewhere, uh, the lordship of something or someone else, then we've got now opposition. We've got a conflict. That's why I hid that Bible when I was in year seven. That's why I was afraid and hid under the house. That's why it took five years of saying that prayer. That's why I did it in the dark when no one else could know, see or hear. Because of the opposition that was guaranteed to come from within my own family, within my own group of friends. When the day finally came and I did say that out loud, Well, praise God in his kindness, my parents had come to know Jesus just before me. And everything was okay, at least at home. But certainly not amongst my friendships group and those old school friends. Something fundamental had shifted. I'm now saying Jesus Christ is Lord. Not me, not us, not we. And that changes relationships straight away, doesn't it? And it's that difference of opinions that, for me, simply change relationships. But remember, where did I say Paul wrote this letter from? Anyone remember? He's in prison. It put him in prison. He bowed the knee to Jesus. He acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord. And they slapped him in prison for doing so. The the guardians of public opinion, we all know who they are, don't we? You know, in every age, there's the guardians of public opinion. You might have some in your year group, in your school. You might have some in your workplace, the guardians of public opinion. We definitely know who they are on social media. Well, maybe we don't know who they are, but they're definitely there, aren't they? They're in the papers. They're all around us. The guardians of public opinion who would... Well, in Paul's day, they didn't care if it was true or not. They cared only about their power and their position, which they then used to cancel Paul. Silence him, put him in prison, and then... Well, permanently, they ensured he became very silent after they beheaded him. That was successful. Yet the truth about Jesus won the day back then, and it continues to win the day today, hasn't it? The truth about Jesus won the day because while Paul was silenced, first of all in prison, well, he wrote letters, and then he'd already shared enough with enough people that by the time that, well, he had his head lopped off, other people were claiming Jesus is Lord. And that good news has flourished and here we now stand on the other side of the world 2,000 years later in what is still the largest religious grouping in the entire world and continues to be and continues to grow every single year across the world, whether it feels like it does around you or not. That's the numbers. Still, sharing 
And that's why, and that's what we did this week, and we shared with the children and the families of the Illawarra around us that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because he didn't just die on the cross to pay for my debt or just for your debt. No, he did it for all who put their trust in him. And we do it because Jesus Christ is glorified, because God is glorified when anyone bows the knee to Jesus and acknowledges that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's why we exist. That's why the doors are open. That's why we put on this time tonight. That's why we want you to stay for supper and encourage each other and talk about these things, wrestle over these things. It's why we ran the holiday club. It's why we teach scripture in school so the next generation can find out. It's why we run the Friday night kids clubs and youth groups and camps and men's and women's groups and growth groups and play groups. It's, we do all those things because, like Paul, we have bowed the knee to Jesus and we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And here in this church, that's why we're inviting everyone in the northern Illawarra to make Jesus Christ their Lord also. And if that's, that's the invitation that we have. That's the invitation, that's the open door. That's the invitation to anyone who doesn't yet know these things. And if you're here tonight and you know that that is an invitation you've not yet accepted that maybe you've heard about it, that you know about it, and that you're thinking, you know what, I've never accepted that invitation. I've never actually bowed the knee to Jesus and declared that he is Lord. Well then, tonight, the invitation stands to do that. And perhaps you're thinking, you know what, I'm not, sh- I'm not ready to do that. I never have, and I'm here, but I'm still not yet convinced. Remember how long it took me? Five years or so to be able to get to that point. And to think about the implications of that, it can be a journey. So likewise, the invitation for our, from our church is to spend time with us and to think about these things, to make progress, though, in these things. And we invite you to do that tonight as well, to start that journey. Let us know about it. Use that comment slip. Let me know if you want to write it or talk to me or the person you've come alongside with tonight. And let's start that journey. But, on the, but if you are here right now and it's actually you know our know that tonight is the night. It's time to do it. Well, then let's do it. And the way we do that is by talking to God, acknowledging Him with our tongues, humbling ourselves with our words, and we're going to use that prayer that's on the back. I'm going to say it. It's going to be on the screen. It's going to be on that, so you can take it home with you in case you might want to use it at another time. This is a prayer of acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord, humbling ourselves before him, asking him to be our Lord. I'm going to pray it now. If you'd like to pray it with me, then pray it. Just do it quietly in in the echo of your own head and heart. God will hear you. He's that clever. If you can raise someone from the dead, he can hear what's in your mind, I assure you. Will you pray? Thank you, Jesus, for paying my debt on the cross for purchasing my forgiveness and rising again to rule. I humble myself before you and declare that you are my Lord. Please help me to bring continual glory to God by continuing to believe in you now and forevermore. Amen.